0: And now Dan Baliano, attempt the 47-yarder. From this range, he's only three of seven
1: on the year, between 40 and 49.
0: It oh, is blocked,
1: uh. and it was Bobby Wagner. Who else?
0: It's time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you, along with Charlie Bramer. We'll be joined shortly by Jason Fitz of ESPN Radio Spain and Fitz. Glad that you're with us on this Tuesday afternoon in early December. Got your Christmas tree up yet, Charlie?
2: Nope, gotta go cut one down. I guess you gotta still. go cut one down. Can you do that up here? Well, yeah. I mean, out in Scandia. it's kind of just like a, yeah. I'm not gonna say it's the wild west out there, but you can definitely get away with cutting down a tree. Well, if if, if I'm talking on your own property, right? Like if you got a little property, so
0: we're not advocating federal crimes or anything no, like that.
2: No, certainly not.
0: Well, hey, uh, plenty's been going on in the world of sports since we've certainly since we've certainly uh last had you on and certainly since even the last 24 hours in this news cycle. So, how about let's jump right into it with basketball. Bucks and Pistons were both in action last night. Turned out pretty good for one of them, not so much for the other. Another five-game losing streak for the Pistons. Meanwhile, no Giannis, no problem for Milwaukee. They take down the defending Eastern Conference champs.
2: Well, the Bucks beat the Pistons last... What was that, last they Friday? Did. Mm-hmm. And I was texting Blake about it, and he goes, Oh, the Pistons didn't have Stanley Johnson, so... You know, that's why they lost. And I'm like, yeah, well, the Bucks didn't have Chris Middleton, so I think Chris Middleton outweighs Stanley Johnson a little bit. Um, But yeah, and then the Bucks got a big win against the Raptors, mm-hmm. and then they picked up another good win against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. They... They, they have to sit Giannis in order to call that a good win, though, because if if you're playing your superstars against Cleveland, that doesn't count as a good win anymore.
0: Well, and he's still dealing with that neck injury.
2: Yep, yep, so, so they sat him, but, and this is, uh, I think this is the skid I've been waiting the, for the Pistons to go on. They kind of did the exact same thing last year. Mm-hmm. Started out hot, and then go on a losing streak, and struggle to stay around 500 for the rest of the season
0: well and this is not the first time they've been streaking in the wrong direction they've struggled a few times this year where they go on a week or two so long skid where they just can't seem to win a ball game
2: yeah and they just really need to get some offense mm-hmm. i keep saying you know they're gonna have to make some moves the, i love the bucks made an awesome trade on yes, friday um, they got out of John Henson's contract and Matthew Dellavedova's contract. Send him back to Cleveland. Yeah.
0: I, I laughed when I heard it.
2: That's really something to be able to get out from under those two contracts. The money that that's going to be able to save to mm-hmm. keep the core of players together. The Bucks have some big free agents this summer: Chris Middleton and Chris Bledsoe or er, Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, so, he was the
0: high score last night: yeah. twenty points, twelve boards. Looking yeah. pretty good in place of Giannis.
2: And he had a few two or three 27 point games in a row there um he's just become much more efficient which is early in the season that's exactly what i said i don't know i babbled that at least one time i just chris middleton or eric butzel really needed to get more effective to be effective on this team or more efficient and he's really seemed to be able to do that increase his field goal percentages three point shootings up Uh, His assist-to-turnover ratio has improved, Um, and there was open in interviews some guys, and I think Coach Bud was saying, you know, he brought over some bad habits from Phoenix. He was on a losing team for so long, and uh, he's been able to shed those, keep his averages up, but uh, keep his turnovers down, and his efficiency is right where it needs to be, and. You know, last spring it was, oh, is Eric Bledsoe really the answer at point guard? And it looks like the Bucks are going to try and put together a contract extension for him. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy about that.
0: Well, he's earned it. He's done well for this Bucks team that's off to an 18-8 and start. They're second place in the Eastern Conference. What do you think about Malcolm Brogdon? I liked him a lot when he was at Virginia. He seems like he's progressing a little bit faster than maybe he was supposed to or a lot of people thought that he would and that's just coach bud bringing out the best and maybe mid-level guys
2: yeah and obviously he was showing flashes his rookie year um you know and people were giving a lot of credit to jason kidd they were just saying you know making a lot of comparisons in their playing style um but malcolm brogdon the way he's been able to incorporate a three-point shot into his game i mean he's he's one of the only 40 50 90 players in the nba him and steph curry right now so he's shooting darn near 50 on threes i think for this season he is out shooting steph curry from beyond the arc so and and he's so far in the years like 98 percent from the free throw line so his shooting has just skyrocketed and coming that's kind of what dropped him into the second round was those you know there was question marks there And, boy, has he ever worked on that part of his game, and he's really become an all-around player.
0: Bucks continue to roll, and they're looking really good right now. Pistons, meanwhile, they have a lot of questions to try and get answered. What do they need to do right now to try and turn this around? I mean, it's one thing where Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond are doing their thing, and you're just not getting any help around them. Last night, Luke Kennard was the high scorer, and you can take that any way you want. He had 28 points, which is kind of what they want to get out of Luke Kennard more consistently maybe not 28 per night but certainly get what he brought to the table at Duke a few years ago they want to get that out of him on a nightly basis
2: yeah and is that like you said is 28 really realistic expectation of Luke Kennard the guy can hit an open jumper though and that's what the Pistons need more of um the Pistons shoot I want to say they're right up there in the league in three point you you know percentage, um, what well, percentage of the shots taken being three pointers, mm-hmm. and what you know they gotta start hitting them. They had a bunch of open looks against the Bucks, and that game just wasn't even close. And the Bucks played terrible that night. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pistons just couldn't hit an open shot, and it seems to be pretty much that simple of an explanation as to why the Pistons are on such a losing streak is. They just can't hit an open shot. Um, Sometimes basketball isn't that easy to explain, but I think in the case of the Pistons right now, that's
0: about the answer to the question of what's wrong with the Pistons. They need to be able to hit an open shot. And they need a third option. You can rely on Blake. You can rely on Andre. They're going to give you great nights, night in and night out, but you're not able to win with just two reliable options. Not in this NBA. They have to get a third option. Some nights they have it. Some nights... Uh, Some nights it'll be a guy like Canard. Some nights it'll be Ish Smith or Stanley Johnson. But they don't have a guy who's going to do that every single night. You need that big three to be able to compete in the NBA or at least be a team that's going to actually be a serious playoff contender. Mid-season trade has to be in the cards, you would think.
2: Yeah, they're going to have to find a team, um, you know, like the Bucks found Cleveland, Mm -hmm. willing to, um, for another future pick, well a few a second couple second rounders i think first rounder uh they were for that essentially is what they were able to give up john henson and matthew, matthew delvedo contracts um the pistons are going to have to find a team that's willing to take on some payroll for some picks and you know guys go well or people say well you know you don't want these guys uh mortgaging their future but at the same time, it's when are you going to be in win-now mode? And at what point are you planning to have picks that are in? I mean, you got picks in the high 20s. It's essentially a second-rounder. That first-round pick doesn't have a lot of value at that point. If you're expecting to win games, at what point do you trade those first-round draft picks to add to your roster? I mean, the Bucks were able to add in that trade, too. Oh, they were able to add George Hill and another player that names escaping me here do you remember the details of that trade I cannot remember the second player they got off hand but in and Andre Drummond is he ever going to develop a jump shot to his game I mean if John Henson can do it talk about a big man with an ugly jumper he was nailing threes before he hurt his wrist this year is Andre Drummond ever going to be able to do that I don't know. I guess that's wait and see, huh?
0: Charlie Bramer on the Sports Pen. Jason Fitz from ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz will join us shortly. Let's go to college basketball before we take a break, though. Why isn't Michigan ranked higher than number five? I mean, shouldn't they be considered for number one right now? Why do they only have one first place vote? Kansas is 57, Duke has four. Michigan right now is sitting fifth, and right now their teams look better than they did in the fab five i mean why aren't they being considered more for the number one spot
2: i have no idea and with how strong they finished last year Mm -hmm. to make it all the way you know just to have such a great tournament run and virginia did quite the opposite and yet they're ranked ahead of michigan um there's really no answer there I, i really don't know what the um is it michigan's lack of a are they lacking like star power, so to speak? Does that really matter? I think they have some potential stars on that too. team. If they're not stars already in college mm-hmm. basketball, so you know, number five, it's it's kind of hard to complain about being ranked fifth in the nation. But when you start to look at teams ahead of them, it is kind of fairly strange. And also, just man the. The Badgers played Marquette really hard over the weekend, and that was a tough loss. I couldn't believe Marquette wasn't ranked, but so that was a, a loss to an unranked opponent at the time. But now, I mean, both teams from Southeast Wisconsin, they're 8-2, and two, mm-hmm. so it's a good start for the Badgers.
0: Badgers still ranked 12th in the country. How about Michigan State? They're nine. They rebounded from that season-opening loss against Kansas. They have ripped off three straight since losing to Louisville. They took down Rutgers by 11. They thumped Iowa 90-68. to 68. Then they beat Florida by four. So now they get a little bit of a rest going into the holiday break as they get Green Bay, they get Oakland from up here in Michigan, and then they get Northern Illinois before they're back to conference play in January. lot to like about the Spartans right now as well.
2: Yeah, Big Ten basketball is, I mean, it's going to be a great Big Ten season this year. How about NMU? Mm. They rattled off. I mean, they just look like an NBA offense. They're shooting like 44% from three. Um, like I got some, I got tickets for the rest of the se- rest of the there season. There you go. And went to some games last week. They won against Purdue Northwest. It was like 108 to 69. And then I know they killed it this weekend. Again on Saturday, they were up. 40 to 16 at half off, or 40 to 18 at half on saturday so their offense is just like nobody can stop them mm-hmm. it, they're a lot of fun to watch right now
0: and then on the women's side it's a little bit of uh the inverse where the defense is stifling the offense isn't putting up terrific numbers i know troy Matson wants to get those numbers up but his defense right now has got to make you really happy if you're head coach
2: um with their if, if you've got a defensive unit that's performing like that you're gonna be happy as a head coach, but you know just in some of his interviews he's like waiting for the offense to really start clicking, and then that team is gonna be in business i mean they're gonna be a team to reckon with once they can really get consistent.
0: Charlie Bramer is in the studio with us here on ESPN-UP. We'll take a timeout. Jason Fitz from ESPN Radio Spain and Fitz is next, all here on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, the Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: Welcome back to the Sports Pan on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Anybody wants to hang out with us can call the hotline number 906-226-4570. My next guest is doing just that. We have Jason Fitz of ESPN Radio Spain and Fitz on headset with us. Fitz, Bama looks like maybe the best version of themselves Nick Saban has ever had. What reasons do the other three have to think they could knock off the Crimson Tide and be the national champions this season?
3: Well, I think it's going to come down to two things. One, Tua's health, because as much as we – here's the, the easy thing to say. Jalen Hurts can step in and win a national championship because, frankly, he's been there before. But remember, Jalen Hurts didn't win the job for a reason. Tua is a better quarterback. So if Tua Tungvaloa's ankle is not healthy and he can't go, that will play a factor into it. The other part of it is that this Alabama defense hasn't truly been tested. And and we're used to brand bias of, hey, Alabama's defense is spectacular year in and year out. That's true. But this defense particularly, I don't think is as talented or as experienced as some of the defenses they've had in the the past. So, you know, as as much as it's easy to look at Oklahoma, for example, and say, hey, you know, how can Oklahoma beat them? Well, Oklahoma can put points on anybody. So, you know, Oklahoma does have a, a, a bit of a shot. And, frankly, I think if you're asking me right now, Clemson's defense is better than Alabama's defense so you know I don't see any reason why Clemson can't make their case that they deserve to be the national champion as well so uh, I don't think this particular road for for Alabama is going to be as easy as some people do how
0: about Notre Dame what did they have to rely on to give them any hope going into the playoff
3: Notre Dame's real strategy comes around balance look Ian Book has come in and been a good quarterback for him but he's not a great quarterback they don't ask the same things of their quarterbacks that some of these other teams do they ask a lot from Dexter Williams, their star running back, who's had a spectacular year. The unfortunate thing is it's strength on strength. Dexter Williams is going to go up against that Clemson defensive line that's the best in the country, that's only given up about 2.4 yards a carry. I don't think they're going to find any wiggle room. And then it becomes how do you create balance when you can't? And, and uh, I think the most interesting thing about Clemson and Notre Dame is going to be the coaching and their ability to, are they going to sort of stick to this is who we are and we're going to impose our will? Because I don't think that'll work. Or are they going to come in and suddenly show varied uh, offensive looks? I don't know that that's necessarily who they are either, so... Just by sheer matchup problems, I don't know that Notre Dame can compete with Clemson.
0: Jason, tell me about the committee's decision to put the four teams in that they did. I know that there's an argument going around saying the four most deserving teams compared to the four best teams. And a lot of people feel that Georgia was snubbed. They feel that Ohio State was snubbed. They feel that UCF was snubbed. Tell me about how you see the committee's decision to put the four teams in that they did. Did they get it right?
3: If I was on the committee, I would have put Georgia in at number four. That being said... I think the committee's real job is to get the four best of the four most deserving, and that's a really weird line to figure out year in and year out. I'll go back a few years ago to USC when Sam Darnold was their quarterback and Sam was benched for the first three games. They lose those. They change quarterbacks. By the end of the year, they're a 9-3 and three football team that was playing. They were definitely one of the four best in the country, but they were never going to stand the shot at the playoff or, or that sort of a system because – they lost three games we all have whatever that line is in our minds I think once Georgia took a second loss and and look do we really want to be in a world where being competitive but losing to Alabama means more than beating Texas I I don't know so uh, I think that ultimately they tried they tried to pick once they figured out what most deserving was they picked the four best of that category and the uh, between the loss to LSU that Georgia didn't look good in and then the second loss it took them out of the most deserving category
0: do you think had Georgia's second loss come earlier in the season and they beat Alabama in the SEC Championship, so they did have two losses but a conference title of their name, could that have put them in at number four?
3: Yeah, I think so. Not only the conference title, but even more important than the conference title, what a conference championship game gives you, I think the most important thing it gives you is an opportunity for a resume win, a big win that everybody can hang their hat on and say, wow, this was a statement. And, you know, it's one of the things that the Big 12 has done smarter than all of the rest of the conferences. By by putting their number one versus number two, they make sure that whoever plays in that championship game has a shot at a big win. I would argue that the Big 10 would look completely different after a championship game if Ohio State had had the opportunity for a big win instead of a win over Northwestern, which was never going to be felt with the same power as a win over, let's say, a Michigan.
0: Talking with Jason Fitz of ESPN Radio Spain and Fitz. Jason, how about the Heisman Trophy? That was awarded to Kyler Murray on Saturday night, won it over Tua to Tagovailoa and Dwayne Haskins. It surprised me a little bit. I won't say it was undeservedly given to Kyler Murray, just surprisingly maybe. Was that the same for you?
3: It was surprising to me. I think what happened on Saturday uh, as I continued to host um, a Twitter college football show there, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to Tim Tebow for that on Saturday. And I talked to Tebow uh, before the award came out, and I asked him what the most important thing he looks for in a Heisman Trophy winner is. And he said signature moments where you look at it and you say, hey, The biggest moment, the biggest game, he was the biggest player. And when Tim said that, it really hit me that we haven't seen that from Tua this year because of the situation. I mean, because, frankly, he's been so good and Bama's been so good, we haven't seen that biggest moment, biggest, biggest win. And, you know, and in that moment, I think it sort of hit me, hey, this isn't going to go the way I think it's going to go. Kyler Murray's going to win. And I think that was a big factor for for people in general when you only take the first three quarters of their their stats you just throw the fourth quarter out because Tua didn't play in the fourth quarter in so many games Kyler Murray and Tua are almost exactly identical identical statistically so I think at the end of the day it became about the recency and the big moments and the highlights that everybody saw of Kyler Murray over the last three four weeks versus a hobbled injured Tua and that was enough to make a difference.
0: Well, Jason, let's finish off by talking about some of the local colleges around here and their bowl matchups. You've got Michigan taking on Florida in the Peach Bowl. It's an opponent they've seen a lot. Three out of the last four years in Harbaugh's tenure, that's three times more than five Big Ten opponents. drum by Ohio State. They still bring in the number one defense in the country, but how confident should they be going into Florida?
3: Incredibly confident. And, look, I think Florida is not as good as their record, and uh, Florida was a little overhyped for me this year and really inconsistent so You know, for me, this is a big statement. I mean, it's easy to look at bowl games and say there's not much to play for. This is important for both of these teams because Florida had opportunity. When they look back, they'll look back at this year and wonder how they let the East get away from them. Florida wants a statement win. Dan Mullins wants a statement win. But Michigan particularly needs to get the taste out of their mouth of what happened the last time they were on the field. They need to sort of remind everybody also that the, uh, the Big Ten is theirs to have now. So I think there's a statement to be taken from it for Michigan. And uh, and I think Michigan will win handily in the game, mostly because their defense is just going to be able to shut down Florida, and they'll be able to do enough offensively.
0: You've had an up-and-down, inconsistent Michigan State squad that's going over to the Bay Area to take on an upcoming Oregon squad in the Red Box Bowl. How do you see that one shaking out?
3: Uh, I I said it earlier, you know, at the beginning of the year I was asked what team outside the top ten could make a push, and I had high expectations for Michigan State. I thought they were going to be a really good football team this year. They were not, and Brian Lewerke particularly just was a shell of himself, did not take that step forward. Michigan State's got serious offensive concerns. I don't like the way the play calling has looked. I don't like their continuity on offense. I've watched every one of those games this year with a careful eye, and I don't think Michigan State is playing up to their talent. So I think they're going to get thumped by an Oregon team that is and is looking for it, and I think Michigan State's going to have to look in the mirror this offseason and ask what has to change to make them better.
0: Largely a disappointing season for the Wisconsin Badgers as well. They're getting a rematch with Miami. This time, instead of the Orange Bowl, it's coming in the Pinstripe Bowl between a pair of teams that had high expectations for this season, just didn't pan out that way. What do we expect from those teams at Yankee Stadium?
3: Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. It's a pair of teams that that should have been better. I mean, Wisconsin's going to look back and and realize that they wasted a year. Jonathan Taylor, we all knew that he was going to be the offense Why couldn't they get it done? Why couldn't they make it happen? Uh, Again, I mentioned quarterback play for Michigan State. It was also a a hindrance for Wisconsin. And I think Wisconsin and Michigan State are both looking at themselves, wondering what they need to do to get better. Uh, Miami, not a very good football team, though. So uh, if I'm looking at just wanting to win Wisconsin's offensive line is very good and they can still run the football I think they're going to be able to do that against Miami uh, and I think they actually will come away with this with a pretty convincing win which is going to be unfortunate for Wisconsin fans because it's going to get hopes up next year that next year is going to be better and I don't know how to bank on Wisconsin moving forward
0: Jason last thing before I let you go you said that Michigan needs a statement win over Florida to prove that the Big Ten is theirs how much of that does Urban Myers' retirement factor into it, and will he coach again?
3: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think we've seen it before. When the going gets tough on the personal stuff, he just walks away from the program. And uh, I'm not trying to be harsh on Urban, but that's what he did at Florida, and then suddenly his health got better. Stress is part of what makes his health bad. And so, you know, this has been a stressful year for him. So taking nothing away from the health issues uh, that, that I'm not a doctor so I can't speak to, but I can definitely speak to the fact that in his past – He's led programs that got themselves in trouble, and then he's walked away, and then he's come back. So there's no reason for me to think it won't happen again. It's in coach's blood to coach. Uh, the minute he gets his health back on him and he feels right, somebody's going to let him coach. Because this isn't just about Urban Meyer the man. It's about Urban Meyer the winner, and that's what college football teams seem to fall in love with.
0: Tanner Hoops on the Sports Pen, joined by ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz of Spain & Fitz. That will be coming on later tonight. From 6 to 9. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for being on here. All the
1: best to
3: you. Thank you so much.
1: Appreciate it. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Halfway home. Thank you again to ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz of Spain and Fitz stopping on headset with us, taking the time to join our little show. Tanner Hoops along with Charlie Bramer with you. Glad that you're with us. And ladies and gentlemen, Pigskin Payday is
2: back heading to Ojibwe Casino to predict the winners of each week's pro football games. Play all season for your chance at the $100,000 grand prize. Ojibwe Casinos is and Marquette. It's going to be, they're going to miss out on the Pigskin Payday soon if they haven't gotten in on it yet.
0: Three weeks left. Three weeks to get in there and make your picks and get your money.
2: Is that only three weeks left for me to read this then? How sad.
0: Probably. Probably getting down to that point. We're getting down to the end of the football season, and that's going to be the topic of our next segment. But first, your Sports Center update. The Minnesota Vikings have fired offensive coordinator John DeFilippo following last night's blowout loss at Seattle. Meanwhile, former Michigan offensive line analyst Ron Prince has been hired as the new head football coach at Howard. And NBA superstar Steph Curry says that he believes the moon landing was faked. Real thing. Did he say why? No. No.
2: What's up with these NBA guys having these takes on all this stuff? Yeah,
0: Kyrie finally admits that the world is round. He doesn't think the world's flat anymore. So who convinced him of that? That's what I want to know. How did that go? Maybe it was playing in a city where the newspaper is the Globe, the Boston Globe. Could you imagine the first time they interviewed him as a member of the Celtics and they say, so, Kyrie, this is uh, you know Tanner Hoops from the Boston Globe. The Boston what? Yeah, right. It had to be what his first interview was Well,
2: like. I mean, maybe they had him sit in on a kindergarten class or something. I don't quite know. Maybe that became a stipulation in his contract. He had to stop saying that. Hey,
0: well, tell you what. I'm a Boston fan, so it's Kyrie's flat world, and we're just living in it. They're starting to figure things out, well, yeah. 16 and 10.
2: Yeah, and you know what? A basketball court is flat. He knows that. That's, that's all, his world. That's all he needs to know, man. Get the ball in the hoop.
0: I tell you what, let's transition to football. We have three weeks left in the regular season and the playoff picture is starting to take shape. I tell you what though, I'm starting to get the impression that the AFC is better talent-wise than the NFC. When you look at the NFC, I used to think that the Saints and the Rams were on a collision course to play for the right to go to the Super Bowl and I thought the Saints would win that ball game. But now we're starting to see some of the other division winners emerge. This weekend, two divisions in the NFC were clinched. Not mathematically, but realistically. Realistically, the Bears will win the NFC North, and the Cowboys will win the NFC East. That is realistic right now, not mathematical, but it would take a miracle to deny them those titles. So you've got those four teams. Seattle looks like they're a lock to go to the playoffs as a wild card now. And then Minnesota, as bad as they looked last night, is still... In the sixth spot. Then you've got a few other teams that are still in the mix. The, Ooh, the Packers. Packers are still course, in the mix. Definitely. They're just staying alive enough. Yep. Of course. You've got them in there along with Carolina, who's lost five straight. The Eagles, who don't deserve to be a playoff team. The Redskins, who won't be a playoff team with Josh Johnson or Mark Sanchez, whoever they decide to put as quarterback. It'll be Johnson this weekend. But whoever's going to be the long-term guy, at least for the next three weeks, they're not going to make the postseason. Yeah, can you
2: believe there's only three weeks left of the it's year? It's gone by quick. It's gone by very quick. Um, Like I said, huh? the Packers are still alive.
0: It's, they're still alive. That's and they're my still... take
2: on the playoff predictions. Or I don't know if it's predictions or whatever. The Packers are just still
0: alive. Well, hey, Joe Philbin gets the win, and boy, does he ever set the tone. 64 seconds into his career coaching the greatest quarterback in football. Doesn't matter. Doesn't need him late in the game. He's got two challenges he's going to use them both in 64 seconds
2: and i thought those well after the first one was called a catch i thought there's no way they're going to overturn the second which of course they didn't but that was really i mean was that a catch especially that first one that was there's no way that was a catch you can't you can't tell me that was a catch please don't tell me that was a catch
0: well i'm telling you this Joe Philbin knows that he's not going to get the Packers head coaching job. So he's going to pull out all the stops right now. For Joe Philbin, I think you're going to see a really creative, dynamic Packer playbook. And I think that's what Packer fans want because Philbin knows that he's gone after three weeks. And he's got three weeks to ride the greatest quarterback in football and try to find a way to make himself more appealing to another team who might be looking for a head coach. So Joe Philbin is going to pull out all the stops in hopes of maybe boosting his resume looking a little more attractive to another team and maybe that's what packer fans need after the uncreative playbook mccarthy was pulling out
2: well i do want to say and i think you know where i'm gonna go with this that's
0: right you're a mccarthy guy
2: mike mccarthy had a big hand in that win last week
0: (laughs) how's that I want to
2: hear well, this. I mean, it's like uh, Mike McCarthy from The Coaching Grave. He he comes back and uh, grave. he comes back. Uh, and they were talking about, players were talking about how on Wednesday, um, well, he was in on Tuesday and met with his coaching staff. And then last Wednesday, um, I don't know how long he was in for, in the locker room, gave a speech, talked one-on-one with a lot of the players. And um, a lot of guys were saying just you know what that meant to them and how special that was and how thankful they were that the Packers would uh, allow Mike McCarthy to come back and do things do such a thing because that's kind of unheard of once the guy's fired um and I don't know there was there was some guys playing with a different type of attitude this weekend and you know if there's an opportunity for me I'm going to give the credit to Mike McCarthy because I mean I don't think he gets enough credit. Fastest coach ever in NFL history to 100 wins. I mean, that right there, he's got to get some credit.
0: He's got credit, and I don't deny what he's done in the past. But, I mean, man, at some point, you just start to lose it a little bit. Like, the game can change, and if you don't change with it, and I think that's what happened with McCarthy here these last couple of years, if you don't change with it, you're going to start to outdate yourself. So I think Packer fans, they're going to look back on the Mike McCarthy era And their feelings for him are going to subside, and they're going to realize that this was one of the longest, most successful tenures in the franchise's history. He brought him a Super Bowl, he achieved a lot, and I think Packer fans are going to look back on McCarthy when it's all said and done very fondly. But I just think the game has started to change for McCarthy, and he hasn't been changing with it, and that ultimately led to the split between him and the Packers. I mean,
2: I'll I'll always argue Mike McCarthy just watching his um you know listening to his press conferences all the time um he's definitely wasn't intending for the game he wasn't just gonna sit and let the game like you say change or morph without him changing um some of his approach whatever you want to call it scheme um there was he was changing a lot he was putting a big emphasis this year on putting big emphasis on the big play and going for the knockout blows. And I think he was making some play calls that were kind of handcuffing Aaron Rodgers. Um, He was going for these big home run plays, and I think he needed to just dip and dunk it down the field a little bit more at times. Um, But mike mccarthy certainly you know from an intellect standpoint wasn't letting the game get too big for him it was just i think he was making some of the wrong calls trying to force change and and it just like you said it had whether it had run its course or whatever it he wasn't going to save it um you can look at his play calling uh and it was questionable at times and there was things that I was kind of wondering about at times, even being a big Mike McCarthy fan. Um, And that's just one thing that I really noticed was he was really looking to make the big home run play all the time, and his offense just wasn't really capable of it. I think this is one instance where he needed to kind of coach, you know, coach more to the player's strengths instead of saying that we're going to go for the big shot here and we're going to look to make big plays. I think he just kind of needed to take what defenses would have given him and let Aaron Rodgers do a little bit more of the. You know, I really like the run pass option mm-hmm. stuff. You'd think with a quarterback like Rodgers, you'd do more of that stuff and put it in his hands a little bit more. And that's possibly where Mike McCarthy, you know, came up a little bit short. Um, I guess you know everything you can you can nitpick everything certainly we all know that but um Mike McCarthy was trying to make a big change and he didn't have
0: the receivers to do it
2: for the positive yeah and it just he didn't have the personnel to do it and he was sticking with his guns that's for sure all the way to the end
0: that just tells you everything you need to know the Packers lead the NFL in potential yards on drop passes
2: and and they also I believe it's like they lead any other NFL team. They It's like doubled. And uh, there was a graphic on the, during the football game last week. Aaron Rodgers has like 54 throwaways this year. The next closest quarterback is in like the low 30s. Mm-hmm. So you think about all those potential yards. And that's what I'm talking about, plays that where they're going for the home run and then there's nothing there and Rodgers has to throw it away. Um, but I also liked something i heard somebody say this weekend about how you know Rodgers just set the new record for nfl history mm-hmm. most pass attempts without an interception but when you have 50 some almost 60 uh throwaways in a season that'll help is that does that really you know have you really earned that record so to speak you know
0: well it's like what they were talking about on levitar today if a quarterback throws an interception that 's clearly the receiver's fault, it goes deflecting off his hands, what have you, should the quarterback be penalized with the interception? Or should it be the receiver i mean but and they keep track of all these stats like they uh, they keep a great track of all of these stats and they make sure we have these numbers and they break down the analytics and what have you
2: yeah they they keep track of stats of of how stats could be possibly skewed right I mm-hmm. mean, they keep in stats of stats
0: well we were sticking with the Packers for a little bit let's transition to their divisional rival before we go to break Monday night football last night sucked I mean it was a bad football game especially so if you're a Minnesota Viking fan if you're a Seattle fan you just don't like the Vikings then you know it wasn't pretty but job got done did what they needed to who's to blame for the Vikings this season because they were 13 and 3 last season They were one game away from going to the Super Bowl, which they would have hosted. They upgraded the quarterback position. I would think a guy like Kirk Cousins is an upgrade over Case Keenum. I mean, he's not elite by any stretch. They pay him $84 million. They give him all this money, comes out and does what? I mean, look where the Vikings are this season. They've taken a huge step back. And they really shouldn't. And they fired John Filippo earlier today. Obviously him and Mike Zimmer weren't on the same page. Zimmer wasn't going anywhere. Who's to blame for the Viking struggles this season?
2: Well, you know, apparently in Minnesota, um, you can get away with blaming coordinators. This isn't the first offensive coordinator Zimmer's gone through. Um, and he's escaped without blame so far. Um, eventually, um Eventually it's going to get to him. You think it's I think. Zimmer? Um, I mean, who's making the hires? Who's hiring? Who's in charge of that staff there? It's got to be Zimmer. And he's already gone through a few offensive coordinators. Um, you know, when a defensive-minded coach is in, is a head coach in the NFL, I just think it's kind of funny how they they get a pass if their offense isn't living up to snuff like in the case Mm -hmm. of the minnesota vikings even if he's a defensive minded head coach he's still the head coach and he's still the one calling the shots he's still the one making the hires he should be at least if he's not then that's a weird situation in minnesota
0: well we don't know if it's the general manager the front office putting in the the hires there we can try to track it down but Zimmer I just don't see as being the problem I like Mike Zimmer a lot I mean he's a great coach last year him and Pat Shermer were on the same page and how much would he kill to have a guy like Pat Shermer back but John Filippo had a lot of success running his offensive system in Philadelphia and that's why they brought him into Minnesota they thought he could bring that same level of offense to the Vikings but he has way too much of a different philosophy than Mike Zimmer has. Zimmer wants to ground and pound the football, dominate time possession, have a fresh defense to throw on the field every once in a while. DiFilippo wants to throw the football. And you get a quarterback like Cousins, I see why they give him leeway to try and put in his system. You've got a quarterback that can throw the ball fairly well. You've got excellent receivers and a great tight end. You've got guys like that. And I see why they wanted to give DeFilippo's system a try, even though him and Zimmer kind of fought each other the whole way. Minnesota tried this. It didn't work out. I think a lot of that blame has to go on Filippo. I don't think he's a bad coach, though. He just clashed with Mike Zimmer. I think he'll coach really well somewhere else, as he did in Philadelphia. I don't know that you can blame either of those two coaches or even Kirk Cousins, because he can win. He can give you a chance to win. He's got everything you would want in a quarterback. You just got to have the system to bring it out of him. He wasn't great last night. He hasn't been great this season by any stretch. He hasn't lived up to the $84 million tag. He's got to be better, and I'm wondering with a new coordinator, maybe he will be.
2: Yeah, just basically what I'm saying is, you know, eventually, once Zimmer's gone through a few offensive coordinators, he'll get a chance to make another hire, get another clean slate at it with another offensive coordinator, get another year with a new guy in there, but eventually, if that doesn't turn around, it will even though he's a defensive-minded coach that is going to fall back and reflect on him eventually.
0: Maybe Joe Philbin, once he gets fired from the interim job in Green Bay, will want to go be Zimmer's offensive coordinator. I think that's about <laughs> – that's about that makes a lot of You'd sense. You'd be okay actually. with that as a
2: Packers fan, wouldn't you? Yeah, and um, I think that actually does make a lot of sense as far as, you know, uh, landing spots for Joe Philbin. That's what he'll probably be in the NFL uh, for the remainder of his career. You know, he's already 24, was he 24 and 28 with the Dolphins? So he's already had a significant stint as a head coach. I really don't see another team giving him another shot, even if he does go undefeated with the Packers. Although crazier things have happened, I'm really hoping, my fingers are crossed, um, it's not Joe Philbin. But if Aaron Rodgers is a big fan of Joe Philbin, and if he's as big of a fan as we're all led to believe, He might have more of a shot at that job than we think.
0: We've got Charlie Bramer in studio with us in the sports pen. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. What did this weekend teach us about defense in the NFL? I still don't think they can win you championships, but defense can play spoiler. That's next on ESPN-UP.
1: Ready for battle, uniform safety, and pixel explosion. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid. Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. That time is here once again. No, not the holidays. But that time where high school basketball cheering sections across the state get ready to show their enthusiasm and their sportsmanship in the MHSAA's 8th Annual Battle of the Fans created by the Association's Student Advisory Council. Last year, the modified format got more schools involved in a deeper way. One, we got to keep more schools in the competition longer, so we have nine schools that get to move on from the first round. And on top of that, we've got to see them in action over a two-week period instead of just the one night that we visit them on the game night. So now we visit them on a game night, and we get to see them in action for two weeks, so we get a better picture of what their student section is all about. Andy Freshour of the MHSEA oversees the Student Advisory Council. Schools entering this year's battle have until January 12th to submit a three-minute video making their case, and the Student Advisory Council will whittle the entries down to nine schools for two weeks of social media challenges before three finalists are selected that SAC members and MHSAA staff will visit on a game night. Social media input in mid-February will assist the SAC in selecting a champion, which will be announced on February 22nd and honored in March at the MHSAA Boys Basketball Semifinals in East Lansing. The Herd from Buchanan High School in Southwest Michigan is the defending battle of the fans champion. You can follow the battle from the second half page of the MHSAA website. Our MHSAA TV game balls this week go out to boys basketball forward Romeo Weems of New Haven High School, who had 34 points, 19 rebounds, and 10 blocks in a win over St. Clair Shores Lakeshore last week, a game you can watch an archive of now for free on MHSAA TV. And Molly Davis, who scored 31 points to lead Midland Dow past Freeland in girls basketball action. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do
3: you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting Michigan.gov MyStudentAid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram.
1: Our weekly Be the Referee feature looks into the fine art of officiating with Brent Rice. As the basketball season comes into full swing, we want to take a quick look at some of the topics that have been at the forefront for our schools and officials. Our primary focus is always the safety of our student-athletes. And while some of our uniform requirements are technical in nature, a point of emphasis this year concentrates on the potential hazards that loose strings and extensions can create. Rolled waistbands have been interpreted as legal as long as there are no exposed drawstrings and they comply with logo restrictions. Players may wear headbands composed of soft material. They can be tied as long as the loose extensions or tails are tucked back into the headband. Because they wrap around the entire head, headbands are distinguished from hair control devices, which have their own requirements and restrictions. Thanks, Brent. You can be a referee. Go to the MHSAA website now to register. When the MHSCA began its school broadcast program ten years ago, it was done with the intention of giving students hands-on experience with producing and announcing sporting events. But this year there has been an explosion appearing on the MHSAA TV website and the NFHS network using the network's automated production solution, Pixelot. In the past two years, the number of Pixelot units in the state of Michigan total over 70 at over 50 schools and this week alone will deliver to MHSAA TV viewers over 250 events. It just makes sense. While traditional SVP programs provide great opportunities, crews can only get to so many games. Pixelot now allows that basketball triple header to be covered, or that wrestling quad, or that big competitive cheer invitational. All the school has to do is load the schedule into the system. So the future of high school broadcasting is here. And it's not in national broadcasts like those on the Alphabet family of networks profiling and exploiting high-powered teams and college recruits, but in local broadcasts of everyday kids in local rivalries reaching displaced local fans around the world. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSCA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops joined by Charlie Bramer. Tuesday afternoon in studio. And the pigskin payday
2: is back. Head on into Ojibwe Casinos to predict the winners of each week's pro football games. Play all season long for your chance at the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casinos in Berga and Marquette.
0: Now here's another announcement to bring in uh, for you. Northern Michigan Hockey this weekend. We'll be sponsoring the American Legion Hockey, Bantam Double A toy for tots donation drive that will be this friday night during northern michigan's home hockey game against ferris state so again bring your toys they're being donated toys for tots sponsored by the american legion hockey bantam double a grant patoli and the northern michigan hockey program behind this go ahead and help them out come out and enjoy some really fun hockey and northern's fun hockey team to watch did you see the goalie goal this weekend yeah and how, how long had it been since that had happened again? It never happened in northern Michigan hockey. Okay. It's happened, I think, 11 times in all of college hockey. Wow. Think of all the games.
2: Mm-hmm. I'd like to see the percentage on that. That's <laughs> uh, that that's a good one, though. That's a good stat. Talking about stats.
0: Yeah, let's uh, get into a few numbers. Can defense still win in the NFL? Over the last few weeks, it proved it can. Cowboys shut down the Saints. They did what they. it took them how long to figure out. Beat Ezekiel Elliott, keep a fresh defense on the field. That's what Mike Zimmer's dream is. That's what he would love to have. Dallas finally figured it out as they beat the Saints. How about the Ravens the other day? They did about as well as you can against Patrick Mahomes. The Ravens, they're a fairly good team. They might make the playoffs of the sixth seed. I don't know that they're good enough to beat Kansas City anyway, but they played about as well as you can in the sense that the best way to stop the potential MVP not give him the ball. Control time, possession. Keep that Kansas City defense on the field and grind it at them. They took them into overtime. You saw what the Bears did against the high-flying Rams offense. and put up 54 against Kansas City a few weeks ago. They were held to just six on Sunday night. And then last night, Vikings offense isn't great. It's capable. Adam Thielen, leading the league in reception yards, wasn't even targeted until the third quarter. That's how good the Seattle defense was, maybe a little bit how bad the Vikings' offensive line was. That's what we're learning about defenses in the NFL, what it's taught us the last couple of weeks. Maybe part of it is the weather's changing. It's getting colder. We're getting to December in a few of these places, and defense is starting to perk up just a little bit. Defense used to be the foundation for championships in the NFL. Defense would win your championships. I don't know that that's true anymore. You can still win with defense. I don't know that the way the game's changing right now, that you can sustain a strong championship-level defense 17 weeks in a row, and then through the playoffs, that you can do that September to January and win yourself a Super Bowl. You can certainly play spoiler and win some big games, and that's what teams like Seattle what chicago what dallas have been doing here in the last few weeks it can be a spoiler but i don't know that in today's nfl you can sustain that defense the entire length of the season to win your championship
2: yeah i mean i think i think it kind of hit the nail on the head when you when you spoke about weather and getting later in the season um that that always plays a big part it seems like defenses around the nfl come alive uh as the weather gets colder um but like you say is it sustainable with with a championship caliber defense you still need some offense to go with it mm-hmm. um and and what level of defense do you need to be a championship caliber NFL team you know if you can get in the top half it's going to give you a pretty good chance um and and it's kind of funny because a team can win a Super Bowl with a defense that's not really that good, but if the defense has good pass rushers or if they can force turnovers, different things they might give up a lot of yards as long as they don't give up a ton of points. So really, then you start to look at what is a really good defense. Mm-hmm.
0: It used to be that if you were a top three defense in the NFL, I mean, you're you're a betting man's dream. You know, you are somebody that you would pick pretty highly to go to the Super Bowl. You have like a top three defense, what have you. Now you could be a serious contender with even a top 15 defense or something like that. As long as your offense can put up 30 points per game, which is not unrealistic in today's NFL, now you can do that.
2: Yeah, and I thought it was really funny. I mean, how strange. The Packers did score 33 against San Francisco earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. But that's the first time they've scored 34 or more points well, they haven't scored more than 30 points all year. It's the first time they've got to 34 points all year with Aaron Rodgers as their mm-hmm. quarterback. And it took a pick six to get him to 34. So that's kind of, ooh, that's that's just different.
0: Hey, but the Packer defense coming alive on Sunday. They got the takeaway late in the fourth quarter down there by the by the goal line on a fumble recovery. I think it was Breland who came up with that.
2: Yeah, and he's the one who had the pick six. Um, he had another big pick earlier in the year. When he's been able to play... He's been a big difference maker on that defense when he's been able to be on the field. It's it's really given that defense a spark.
0: Well, I tell you what, here's one of my favorite stats from over the weekend. Shows you how well defense impacts the game. From the three primetime games this week, Thursday, Sunday, and last night, the three winning quarterbacks in those games, Marcus Mariota, Mitchell Trubisky, and Russell Wilson, combined for a completion percentage Lower than 60%, just one touchdown and five interceptions. That shows what the defenses were like on the other side of the football. Those defenses were all losing teams. They forced that from the winning offense. You can take that stat however you want.
2: Yeah, and one thing, you know, especially like with the Vikings in Seattle, Seattle does have a good run-blocking offensive line. And actually Minnesota has a decent one as well. And that's kind of funny with the Packers this year. Their run blocking has been pretty darn good. It's in the pass blocking. It seems like there's a lot of offensive lines this year that may be decent when they can attack. But then when it comes to pass blocking, they're a little more weak. And in these games in December, when the weather's cold as well, and like we were talking about defense, start to step it up. These quarterbacks, man, if they don't have a solid offensive line in front of them it can really be a long day back there
0: charlie bramer's in the studio with us tuesday afternoon in the sports pen charlie before we sign off let's talk about tight ends rob gronkowski he had maybe his best game of the year on sunday against the dolphins but all people are going to remember about him is the missed tackle on the last play Gronkowski has been struggling with injuries throughout his career. He's had multiple surgeries. Sometimes it just feels like that your body's being stitched together. As monstrous physically as Gronk is, even he is human, and it makes the retirement rumors seem a lot more realistic. We're looking at a few of the tight ends from the league who have dominated the last 10 years. Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, Jason Witten, those guys are either out of the league or on their way out. Kyle Rudolph has still got it for Minnesota, but he's not getting any younger. Now we're starting to see a new generation of tight ends come into the league. Guys like Zach Ertz, guys like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, and set a new precedent for tight ends in the NFL. How much longer do those veterans, guys like Jimmy Graham, guys like Gronk, Rudolph, how much longer do they have left to contribute in the NFL? And if you had to pick, Who's the best tight end in the NFL this season?
2: Geez, I don't know who the best tight end in the NFL this season. I mean, there's a lot of guys that um, I haven't seen play a lot. If I just looked at based on their stats and what I've heard, I could throw their name out there. Mm -hmm. But I really put a lot of emphasis on uh, run blocking, Mm -hmm. really, for a tight end. And, And also pass blocking for a tight end. Can a guy lock down a defensive end? That's one reason why I'm a huge fan of Mercedes Lewis for the Packers. He's only gotten the ball a couple times this year. When he's on the field, it's like an extra left tackle. Um, Like Jimmy Graham, you know, he signed a pretty big contract this offseason. But like I've been saying the last few weeks, the Packers can get out from underneath that. Mm -hmm. Um, Are they going to choose to do that? I don't know. They just might. Um, And then there's guys like Eric Ebron and different guys that they have the talent but where's the production Mm -hmm. and they're so big. They tested great at the combine as far as physical strength. There's a few guys and then, but for some reason they're just terrible in the blocking department. And that's kind of a weird anomaly. You know, it's like this guy's such a big physical presence when he's running down the field, catching passes. Why can't he block anybody? Um, So, but there, there is a good amount of young tight end talent in the league and and it's kind of funny how the nfl so many things can change in football um and really the position of the tight end has changed but that is something that stayed relatively you know from these different generations of tight ends like older guys like tony gonzalez and then to the Jimmy Graham's, and then to the you know Rob Gonkowski's. and little, Antonio Gates, and then yeah, well Antonio Gates, he's just an anomaly. It's <laughs> he'll be in the league <laughs> till he's fifty apparently and productive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just that that's a position that it seems like it's always considered a premier position in the NFL, but at the same time with how much production those guys get, some of them are underpaid, Mm. really. When you look at how much production they're getting in comparison to wide receivers, wide receivers want all the money. There's a lot of tight ends out there that are putting up better statistics than their wide receivers.
0: If I had to say the two best young tight ends in the game right now were Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, would you agree or disagree?
2: Yeah, I really... I would definitely say Kittle. I mean, I... And... I think he's a, de- he's a decent blocker. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him play a lot, but um, he's got the physical ability to match up um, with some defensive ends out there. Um, and I'm really wondering, you know, like in the Packers offense, the tight end is supposed to be a premier position. Um, they haven't spent a high draft pick at that position in a while. They've been going the free agent way. It has not been working out for them. You kind of wonder why they let Jared Cook go all those years. Mm-hmm. He's just gone on and been productive. Um, But that's another thing that's going to have to be addressed this offseason. Again, just like the last about four years.
0: I'll throw this up for my honorable mentions for some of the top tight ends in the game. I mean, we're going to exclude guys like Gronk because they're up there already. Uh, Some of the best up-and-coming young talent tight ends in the game. Zach Ertz. Jack Doyle, if he stays healthy. Evan Ingram has got to be up there if he can stay healthy. Austin Hooper. And... Kyle Rudolph's not necessarily young anymore, but he's still got it. So he's doing his thing. We'll give him an honorable mention for that. Tight end's a fun position in the game, though. I agree with you on that. So much you can get out of those guys. Always enjoyed watching them.
2: Yeah, and I always wished, you know, like I said during the break, man, I always wished I was bigger. I guess I wanted (laughs) to be real big so I could play offensive line. Man, I'd have been happy with being big enough to play tight end, that's for sure.
0: We've got Charlie Bramer in studio with us. We are out of time. Don't forget that we have got Westwood Patriot Hoops tonight. The girls visit West Iron County. Jared Kosky and I will be there on the call, 7 o'clock, pregame, 7.15 tip on ESPN-UP. My thanks once again to Jason Fitz of ESPN Radio. For Charlie Bramer, I'm Tanner Hoops, signing off from ESPN-WZAM, Ishpeming Market.